Sometimes people use their free will wrongly. Sometimes other creatures and entities of reality uh, don't cooperate with God or the conditions of reality are not aligned correctly. And sometimes there's just plain old bad luck. Can God heal us? Can God deliver us from sickness? What supernatural power enables him to overwrite disease or to deliver us from our infirmities? What can and cannot God do? Does God give us free will or are we predestined? These are just a few of the topics we talk about in today's episode with Thomas J. Orr, author of God Can't. If you've ever been mad at God for something bad happening in your life, I truly, truly believe this episode is going to breathe life into you in a way that you have not felt before. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the answers. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave, we are bold, we are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 84. And today we are talking with Thomas J. Ord, author of God Can't. This was a amazing conversation. Uh, it was like from, I guess, my side of it, like it was super easy to edit. It was just like nonstop great stuff. Like I love this episode. And the reason I also love this episode is because of the topic we're talking about. And we're talking about why do bad things happen to good people? And this is just a heavy topic. It's something we hear about all the time. I mean, like on a weekly basis, this is something that comes up to us. Uh, whether we read it online, people are talking to us about it. It's just constant, constant, constant. And Thomas has some amazing points. Like just being honest and real, like this guy has some perspectives that are so enlighten uh, enlightening and just life-giving and so I'm super excited to present it here. We talk about everything from, like I said, why do bad things happen to good people to uh, does God allow bad things to happen to good people? What is healing? What is supernatural healing? We even talk uh, for a few minutes on uh, just kind of like dark entities and do demonic entities cause us to do bad things versus our own selves. And I think that's really cool because Next week is our kickoff to our Halloween month, and you know, uh, if you guys were listening last year, you know how excited Halloween. Yes, this is my favorite time of the year, my favorite holiday, fall vibes, everything. So I'm excited. So this is a just a great episode. It's so uh, so 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 deep, and I just encourage you to listen all the way through and check out Thomas's book. God Can't, which is linked up in the show notes below. And before we get into that, just a quick invite to nomads. If this sparks something in you, you have a friend maybe who needs to hear this, or maybe uh, you've went through some stuff and you're and this is life-giving to you because I know even to me it was life-giving, uh, we encourage you to go down there and click that link and ask to be a part of Nomads, a safe community for Christians to ask unsafe questions. Also, one other thing, we would really appreciate you going down there and leaving an honest review. Those reviews do wonders for people who are just scrolling by and see this, uh, see this, ep you know, the show, and 
encourage them to click and those reviews hearing your words not just ours hearing other people's perspectives really create an inviting atmosphere and we desire to keep as many people in the conversation as possible with all that let's get into today's conversation with thomas j ord author of god can't Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. Today we are here with Thomas J. Ord, author of God Can't. Thomas, how are you? Doing well. How about you guys? Doing Great. well. And just for everyone listening, Tom gave us permission to call him Tom for yes. the rest of this interview. <laughs> so we're going a little more informal. So if you're looking Good. for his book and searching for it, it's Thomas J. Ord. But otherwise, we're going to call you Tom. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. So, Tom, I guess how can we even dive into this? Man, okay, first and foremost, uh, you were gracious enough to let us kind of uh, take a peek at your work, and mm -hmm. I just want to say that you are addressing some seriously yes. big questions here. Probably questions. some of, yes, mm -hmm. some of the biggest questions we get asked, and so I'm super excited about having this conversation, first and foremost. So thank you for coming, mm -hmm. and thank you for all you're going to share. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, these are the big questions, I think. I, polls say that this is the number one reason why atheists can't say they can't believe in God. And although I don't have polls to support my next claim, I think it's the number one question people who do believe in God are asking. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, I think if you've been in any kind of uh, faith circle for any amount of time, you would almost have to ask mm -hmm. this at some point because it just doesn't make sense and it's explained so terribly. And speaking of explaining things terribly, in case you're listening and we haven't made it clear enough, we're talking about why do bad things happen to good people or uh, does God cause bad things to happen to good people? And so we're going to dive all into this, which, Tom, you already do a great job of the book, so I'm just going to go ahead and give a plug on the front end if you want to pause this now and go down and buy Is it is your book avail uh, available digitally anywhere by chance? Yeah, you can get it uh, through Amazon or other online booksellers, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can get the uh, ebook, you can get an audio book. There's even a hardback if you really want to hunt for it. Very cool. So if uh, if you're one of those people that like to have stuff like in your hand right now, you can pause this, go to the comments or the show notes section below. If it's video, it would be comment yep. section. Show <laughs> notes section below and uh, grab a copy of the ebook, or if you're a physical book person like Elaine mm -hmm. and I are, you'll have to wait a couple of days if you're a Prime member. So anyway, uh, so I'm just gonna kind of open this up and let you share a little bit about um, your, your history, your church background, and kind of bring us up to speed on what uh, brought you to write God Can't. Sure, thanks for the opportunity. I'm a person who grew up in a pretty traditional Christian home, evangelical home. Uh, I went to church an awful lot. I gave my life to Jesus many, many times. Um, I was a person who felt like I was called perhaps to some kind of ministry. And I was one of those freaky guys who did a ton of witnessing door to door and bars. I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ. So I took the whole Jesus thing super seriously. Then my uh, final year of college, I took a course in which for the first time I took seriously the ideas of agnostics, atheists, those of other religious traditions. It was a philosophy of religion course, actually. And um, the things that they said threw me for a loop. Um, and for the sake of intellectual honesty, 
I gave up believing in God. The reasons I had for thinking there was a God didn't make much sense anymore. And uh, so for a time, I was, I called myself an atheist. Maybe I was an agnostic. I, I just didn't think there were good reasons to believe in God. But unlike some people who turn to atheism for, you know, maybe they've been burned by the church or some pastor let them down or their girlfriend broke up with them or whatever it is, um, for me, it was an intellectual issue. It was a question of, are there good reasons to believe that God exists? And I eventually came to believe there are good reasons. I today don't, you know, walk around saying I know with absolute certainty there's a God, but I do think it's more plausible than not that there is a God. And uh, the issues of this particular book, especially the issues of love, were at the center of my return to faith in God. Hmm. That's extremely interesting. So what, what were some of the points, if you don't mind my asking, that actually led you away from God, from the church originally? Well, you know, I, I, like most people, thought the beauty and design of the world pointed to a, a designer, a creator. Uh, and yet, I wasn't really taking seriously all the flaws of the world, all the evil, all the disorder, all the chaos. Um, and I was blaming those on, you know, creatures using their free will wrongly, or maybe satanic powers or whatever. And yet I continue to think that, that if there was a God, or at that time I was convinced there was, uh, this God ought to be powerful and strong enough to prevent those things. And so um, all kinds of, you know, tensions arose in my mind. Yeah, I mean, really it was those kinds of questions that also brought me back to faith in God because I, I had this deep intuition that... I ought to be a loving person, that other people ought to be loving, that in some way love was the goal or the answer or whatever. And I couldn't make sense of those deep intuitions if there wasn't some kind of source for them, uh, the source that most people call God, God of love. I also had this deep sense that uh, Life could have no ultimate meaning if there wasn't some ground of meaning. Again, we use the word God to try to capture that. And so in my quest for meaning and in my quest to have some sort of ultimate basis for my intuitions about love, I came to think that there was a God. And for, a, for quite a while, my, my Christian faith was pretty thin. I thought there was a God. I thought Jesus was pretty cool. And that's about it. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's a book I'm reading right now. It's taking me forever to get through because it's ridiculously, it's one of those books you just have to like kind of work your way through. It's more like an encyclopedia at this point, but it's called The Secret Teachings of All Ages. It's by Manly P. Hall, I believe. It's an older book, but there's a quote in the book that says, people who dabble in religion ultimately will end up as atheists, but people who uh, look to further their education in religion will ultimately find their way back to a God. And I don't know why, but what you were saying there just really just kind of stuck out to mm -hmm. me. And uh, I think that's a very interesting point. I think it's it's kind of one of those wrestles. I think we all wrestle with this at some, even if you don't claim you question things, at some point you're going to wrestle with the idea of, well, if there is a God, then why is there all this chaos? 
well, if God's the creator, then ultimately he created the chaos because he mm -hmm. created the thing we blame for creating the chaos. Mm -hmm. So like it still goes back to God some kind of way. And that I think is I completely agree with what you said earlier is like that's a huge point in people's deconstruction. Yeah, I, I think most people have a default view of God's power in terms of God creating, in terms of God, you know, being providential in the world. And this book, this God Can't book, as the title suggests, is asking the reader to do a complete rethink about what God's power is like. That, that answers the question I was about to ask. I was about to ask you what the title yes. came from. So thank you for reading my mind on that one. Uh, yeah. So with that, this is... Uh, does the uh, the argument of like the whole predestination versus free will thing ever come up? Which, I mean, I'm not going to throw my opinions in here at this second, but like you have one camp saying, well, God predestines everything. One camp saying like, no, he actually gives us free will. Mm -hmm. So how does that play into all of this? Yeah, that's an important set of questions. And I really wrestled through those when I was younger and came off on the side of free will, not because I thought that, you know, human free will was more important than divine sovereignty, but because at the end of the day, I was committed to divine love. And so if I began with God's love, it just made no sense to me that God would predestine some to hell and actually predestine others to heaven, even if they didn't want to go there. Uh, so uh, it was really the claims about God's love that brought me back to classic uh, views of predestination. Yeah. That's interesting. And so what was your purpose for writing God Can't? To help people with those questions, to to um, push people towards the godly love that you were just talking about? What was the purpose in writing that book? Yeah. Well, a, a few years earlier, I wrote a book called The Uncontrolling Love of God, in which I laid out in a more academic fashion uh, the kind of arguments that support the uh, the arguments in God can't. And that book, uh, I'm happy to say, has had uh, great influence. A lot of people have responded. There have been people doing dissertations on it, etc. But some of the people who found it helpful were writing me notes saying how much they appreciated it, how much that it changed their views of God, but they wanted to share the ideas with others who didn't have an academic background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they were saying, look, you need to give these you know, give these ideas to people in way in, in language they can understand. Plus, there were some ideas that I did not include in the Uncontrolling Love of God book that I wanted to articulate. And um, so those are added into this new book, God Can't, in a style that's accessible. Very cool. So let's just kind of get into like the meat of the conversation here. Why Great. do bad things happen to good people? The way, reason bad things happen to good people is because sometimes people use their free will wrongly. Sometimes other creatures and entities of reality uh, don't cooperate with God or the conditions of reality are not aligned correctly. And sometimes there's just plain old bad luck. Yeah. I'm a person who believes in luck it's, uh, and good and bad luck or uh, accidents, chance. I think that's not the only thing that's going on in our world, but those things do occur, and we have to have a theology that uh, takes that into account. Yeah, that's really good. So whenever someone, and this is something that interests me, so I'd love to hear your take on it. 
a lot of people have this idea that everything bad in their life is spiritual. Everything mm. happens because there's a pitchfork demon walking around prodding them in the rear. That or so, they have like a hidden sin. Yeah, we'll get into that one in yes. a second. Let's wait on that one for a second. <laughs> what What are your thoughts toward that? Is it more people? Is there is there an angry pitchfork demon <laughs> prodding people in the back? Yeah. My proposal is neutral on the question of whether or not there is demons and a devil. If there are demons and is a devil or Satan, then I say those are just negative influences in the world that don't control us. We don't have to blame every bad thing on them, but if they exist, they must have influence in some things. But if you're a person who doesn't think there's such a thing as demons and the devil, then my book can appeal to you as well. We just say that the negative thing, negative things that occur, occur because of natural causes, humans, whatever. Hmm. And see, that's actually one of my favorite. I love, um, I just kind of did like a reasonably in-depth study on like the history of demons. And one of the, one of the few beliefs in um, at least Greek mythology, which is where we drew a lot of our mm -hmm. demon influence from, because it's not in Jewish history. That's not even a word in Jewish history. And yeah. uh, one of the interesting things about that is it's actually um, almost like a poltergeist, like it's negative energy left behind from bad deeds done on earth. And so when you kind of look at demons through that light of like, if we have created these things, whether it be like energy influences mm -hmm. or uh, just whatever our mindset or if it's actual physical creatures or whatever that is, it's an interesting thought to think like that still ties back to us and ties back to the free will that God gave us as creatures that were created to create. So I think that's, yeah, that's a, that's good. I think generally speaking, you know, well, I should, before I say this, I'm the kind of person who does a lot of speaking and I go to institutions, um, universities, churches in which some instances people are very conservative, traditional, mm -hmm. even fundamentalist and others are more progressive, liberal, whatever. And generally speaking, in the more conservative places, people believe in personal demons or individuals who have, who, you know, flutter around in the invisible world fighting against mm -hmm. angels and that sort of thing. And in general, in liberal circles, they believe in demonic forces or systems of reality. So mm -hmm. both of them are looking to account for some of the evil in the world and attribute them either to you know, demonic agents or mm -hmm. demonic systems, structures of reality that have gone awry or that have been set up uh, in negative ways. So I think we have to deal with both those. If you're a conservative or a liberal, you have to mm -hmm. come to, to terms with those kinds of issues. Yeah. Is there any validity in spending time trying to invest toward trying to blame bad things on those things? What What's a good way to kind of circumvent getting caught in that cycle of trying to blame something else or trying to find an answer? Because I feel like a lot of times there's just not an answer for why bad things happen. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the people who try to shirk responsibility by saying the devil made me do it, you know, that's that doesn't work no matter what your theology, no right. matter yeah. whether you believe in demons or not. Uh, but I think there are some smarter people who aren't trying to shirk responsibility, who simply look around the world and think it's much worse than it should be if there were just negative causes alone. 
I think yeah. of my good friend Greg Boyd, for instance, who has spent a lot of time writing about angels and demons. For him, that is an important category for making sense of the world as we know it. But I've got lots of other friends for whom that's not an important category. Right. They're still trying to fight against demonic systems. In other words, political systems or ways of uh, cultural habits or whatever. But they just don't attribute them to personal agents. I think that kind of ties into what you were about to mm -hmm. ask. So I'm gonna go ahead. I'll turn it over to you now. I'll quit yeah. talking for a minute. <laughs> so something that I've been talking with a lot of people about is how your personal sin affects other people. And a lot of people have thought that, well, their personal sin is the cause for the bad things in their life. Maybe they cheated on their spouse and that's why their kid has cancer. So, you know, just stuff like that. And so I just wanted to hear like what, if you talk about that in your book or just what you think of like the, um, I guess, byproduct of sin or bad situations. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it requires a complex answer because sometimes we do know that there's a direct link to something we do and how it affects our lives. If I continually abuse alcohol and my liver goes bad, I got no one to blame but me. You can, you can see the direct things. The problem, of course, is that a lot of bad things that happen to us aren't caused by something we did. They're caused by something other people did to us or, you know, just the, the accidents, random genetic mutations or, uh, you know, accidents in the world. And it's easy for us to see something that goes bad in our lives and then try to point to some sin that we did and say, well, you know, even though I don't see a direct cause and effect relationship, somehow, you know, God is getting me back. Or, you know, if you're not a Christian, you might say karma is getting me or whatever. Um, in my view, God never punishes. All of the bad that happens to us is not because God decided to whack us across the side of the head for some sin that we did. However, there are natural negative consequences that come from sin, both our sin and the sin of others, and sometimes natural negative consequences that come from random genetic mutations or things in reality that aren't caused by free will agents. So I think the key link, though, is that claim that I'm making that God never punishes us in the sense of deciding whether or not to you know, kick us in the butt for something we've done. If we see that God is not in the business of punishment, but always seeks the good, our good and the good of the whole, then we can get past, I think, some really negative views of a punishing God. Mm, yeah. That's good. And, you know, I struggled so much with this i grew up in like a very charismatic upbringing and yeah, uh yeah. It, this was never taught directly to me but it's kind of one of those things you just kind of pick up along the way from other people right and one of the yes. big guilty things that i had was anytime something in my life would happen or something to a loved one of mine would happen i somehow strung it through this weird manipulated truth and took it back to some sin in my life Everything yeah. was filtered through this idea that I had something that I had to work on and God was trying to bring it to light in my mind and without, if I didn't fix it, that I was going to cause harm to someone else. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we, 
I don't understand where this theology comes from, but I think we um, we take on that guilt and shame. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, but I feel like that's almost more damning than the actual sins we commit at times. Oh, yeah. Shame can really ruin us. And again, it's one of those complex things because I've done things that are shame worthy. Mm-hmm, I should be ashamed <laughs> of some of the things I've done. Mm-hmm. But then what we do is we multiply that. We start seeing the world as somehow all connected to the negative things we've done. And then we, we, feel, uh, we feel guilty for things that aren't directly related to anything we've done. And so, it, and then it stifles, at least stifles me. It makes me feel impotent. It, I don't have the confidence. I don't feel loved by God and capable of loving others. And it's a, it's a negative cycle. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that you are responsible for your actions and your life and how you feel about things. And the freedom comes from realizing that you're not in control of what happens to somebody else unless you are that direct byproduct of that situation. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is thinking, well, it's my responsibility for that person's health because I have a hidden sin or I haven't asked for forgiveness or just I'm doing something that has nothing to do uh, with what they're going through. But you just feel this heaviness whenever you try to take on the responsibility of somebody else. Yep, I think that's well put. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Kind of shifting gears here to just kind of more of the church's reaction. We've been talking a little bit about this topic. Um, it's been kind of something that's been brought up a lot to us, like literally in the last month. And uh, we have been kind of hearing some really weird things. Like I was told a story of a woman who was in church who witnessed a pastor tell from the pulpit to a woman that because of her husband's infidelity, was that what it was? Or her infidelity, that is why her child died. And unless she gets right with God, he is going to burn in hell. And And, the only way he cannot burn is to repent. And that if they don't repent, other babies will die too. Unbelievable. Yeah. So (laughs) obviously there's some weird things that gets taught to us about tragedy. What are some of those wrong things you may have heard and how can we kind of uh, remold that mindset and kind of break out of some of those cycles, some of those weird theologies? Yeah, I mean, the illustration you gave, I think, is going to strike the vast majority of your listeners as like out of, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to pick something that's going to strike a lot of your uh, listeners probably is not so out of control but um, is a new way to think. A lot of people don't think God causes death, suicide, rape, torture, genocide, whatever, but God allows them. God, and I don't think God even has the power to allow them. In other words, what they're saying is that God, in their view, has the kind of power to single-handedly prevent some horrific thing, but God chose not to intervene to stop it. Maybe because it's part of some mysterious divine plan, or maybe God just wanted to honor the free will of someone more than he wanted to stop the free will, or there's all kinds of justifications given. But the problem is, is that it says to victims and those who suffer, God could have stopped what happened to you, but God decided to allow it. And that, in my view, makes no sense. In fact, hadn't planned on doing this, but um, I've been getting tons of letters from people who've read this God Can't book. 
and I've decided to print some of them off. And let me read a couple of letters from people who have seen, have known the problems with the God allows evil view or the God permits suffering view. This woman writes, I've always heard people speak of God allowing something, and it's never sit well in my soul. If God allows one thing, then where do we stop with how much he does allow good or bad? If God can control, then where do we stop with that idea? I've never been able to accept that God controls or allows because that meant he allowed my childhood torture. He did not exercise control to stop it. Unacceptable. This bad view of God had led me to waft in and out of a crisis of faith. I thought God was controlling or allowing everything. I had no other way to conceptualize it. And I was told it wasn't okay to ask hard questions. The idea that God can't completes what I have not yet been able to articulate. Another little letter from a guy. He says, my three-year-old son died from a particularly difficult form of childhood cancer. I can no longer hold to the notion that God is in control. What loving parent would choose to stand by while their child walked out into traffic if that parent could stop them? I know of none. When it comes to God, there has to be more to it than him simply choosing to allow these things to happen. Saying God can't single-handedly stop cancer is a better way to think. And the last one, I got tons more, but uh, I'll stop with this one. This was written by a woman who says, I will tell you a bit about my story. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, a lot, and for a long time, by my brother. In the midst of the worst years of my life, I had a very vivid dream of God walking over to my bed as I was being raped. He simply reached out and held my hand and cried. For a few short days, I was elated. God hadn't left me after all. Then came the anger. Anger that God was there, and instead of stopping it, he simply held my hand and watched. For a long time, years, I was angry about that. I prayed for a breakthrough, but I never got it. So now, paging through your book, praying and contemplating, I can see more clearly what may have been happening. God could not stop my brother because God gives free will. How would he have stopped him? The reality is that God couldn't, not that he didn't. And for me, this is a complete game changer. So like I said, I could keep reading story after story. Um, what these, most of them at least, what most of them show is this idea that God allows evil just doesn't make a lot of sense if you're the victim. Because it sounds, if you say God allows it, it sounds like God has the kind of power 
to prevent it from happening, but chooses not to use that power. And so that's why I make the even stronger claim that God simply can't single-handedly stop evil. That's good. And, you know, there's a section in your book that was talking about how God mourns with you. And uh, that, that idea uh, is, I, I've never, I've not really heard that taught. I've heard that like, oh, well, God has a heart for you, mm-hmm. but I've never, we don't portray God as emotional and to, to have that. So I would love to just hear, hear your thoughts on that. I think that is super important. And yet, if you looked at the most important Christian theologians in the last 2,000 years, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, John Calvin, many others, most of them said God is not affected by what happens to us and has no emotions whatsoever. This, despite what I think is very clear evidence from the Bible that God does have emotions. God gets really pissed when we sin, for instance. I mean, we're always trying to figure out how to handle the God's wrath stuff. That's obviously examples of emotions, it seems. But God's also pleased and happy when good occurs. Um, So I'm a part of um, uh, actually a, a large number of contemporary theologians who say God is relational. God is really in relationship with us such that what we do has a real effect on God. And God has emotions. Now, unlike us, God's emotions never get the best of him and he ends up sinning or doing something evil But God, because God has a nature of love. But God has genuine emotions and hurts when we hurt, mourns when we mourn, cries when we cry. Yeah, and I think that's going to speak life into a lot of people because I've talked with numerous people who have said that pastors have told them, well, um, it doesn't matter how you feel or your emotions don't matter. You just need to please God and and follow what he has for you. And I just think that's utter bullcrap, honestly, because God... God created us with motion, like emotion, like you were saying, God has emotion. And, and I don't think you, it's physically possible to suppress that emotion. And, and I, I think it's, quote, sinful if you're not processing what's happening to you. I'm totally with you. I think emotions are a part of the human experience. Now, some people are more emotional than others or have different kinds of emotions. We, you know, we need to take into account the variation, but emotions are just part of what it means for us to, to live in this life. Yeah. I understand the argument that we shouldn't let our emotions uh, compel us to do something evil or sinful. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with that, but I don't think we should try to dismiss emotions altogether or tell people there's something wrong with them if they have these negative emotions. That's just the way our lives are. What we need to do is figure out how to deal with them well. Well, and I think that's even societal, not even just like Christian or religion, but societally, like guys growing up, like it said, uh, whenever, I guess like, what is it? Like the millennial generation, people who are in like their mid twenties are like the first quote unquote, using air quotes here, the first generation to openly talk about therapy and mental health. Like it's, it's become mainstream now, which us growing up, like I can see that because I look at like my family, you know, my older family Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And the idea of therapy is terrifying to them. It's just like, oh, I don't want that on my record is kind of the way it looks like to them. And we've been taught to suppress our emotions. It's kind of like the American dream almost is suppress your emotions. And I almost want to say a lot of the negative emotions we have that cause harm, whether it be like, I mean, this is getting into suicide, self-harm, 
even what would lead someone to to hurt another human or to uh you know to take advantage of someone else stems from not having the freedom to process through their emotions mm. to have that that freedom and that uh that justification in allowing themselves to feel i totally agree and i also think that because we haven't allowed or thought acceptable people feeling these emotions we also haven't um been very good at finding ways to express the emotions that are that are not you know um uh, sinful, evil, negative, harmful. So we don't even have a kind of system of habits to exert these emotions or express these emotions in a way that's positive rather than negative. That's good. That's good. And so I think that kind of plays a little bit into this next, uh, this idea. And I say that because um, a big part of getting through trauma in some church circles especially is faith. It is, what is your faith like? Oh, well, if you would have had more faith, if you would have, you know, that was, uh, was it Peter that walked on water? Do I have that right? Yeah. So when Peter walked on water, like, oh, well, he lost his faith. That's why he sank. Like, you're sinking because of your lack of faith. And I say it kind of parallels because there is power to positive mindset. Like, that's that's scientific. We can see that on a, on a right. CAT scan, you know? So, um, like, there's truth to faith. But there's also this weird line we've crossed where we make it all our fault. And so how does faith tie into all this? Is there power in faith? What level of healing does that play? Yeah, this is another one of those things where the answer is complex. And because it's complex and people like simple answers, they've ended up really screwing with us in terms of how we think about God. So first of all, let me say it's not just Peter who said your faith helps you to walk on water. Time and again, when Jesus heals, he turns to the people who have been healed and says, your faith has made you whole. Sometimes he even talks about the faith of other people, and their faith was somehow effective in the healing of others. So this idea that faith plays a role seems to have lots of biblical support. The problem, of course, is that we can easily turn into the blame the victim thing. That is, you've got cancer, you're not getting better. Well, you guess you don't have enough faith. You got to pray harder. You got to really trust God. It's your fault. And that makes no sense to me, especially if we think, and this is what most people think, not me, but if you think that God can single-handedly heal anyone God wants to heal, and yet God's sitting back, arms folded, saying, you know, you got to try harder. You got to trust me more. You've, pl- you've prayed 38 times, and I'm waiting for 67. I mean, it just makes no sense to me. So what I try to do in this particular chapter in the book when I talk about healing is to say these, these claims about your faith has made you well is a way to talk about how cooperation amongst creatures is required for God to heal. I don't think God can single-handedly heal anyone. I think there has to be some kind of cooperation or the conditions of creation have to be aligned in a particular way for the miraculous healing to occur. That means that people can consciously be fully trusting and have full faith in God, and yet their bodies not cooperate with the healing God wants at the cellular level, organs, etc. 
we don't control our bodies. I think everybody knows this intuitively, but sometimes we act as if, you know, we have total control over our bodies. And I can give lots of examples, including some that might not be appropriate in the show like this, in which we don't have control over our bodies. Anyhow, so we can then say to those people who are not healed, yes, you had plenty of faith. And God wants to heal you, but your bodies are not cooperating at the cellular level or the conditions are not aligned in your bodies for the kind of healing God wants to do. And that then can get God off the hook for just, you know, arbitrarily uh, healing a few people and not everybody, but also say that uh, God is in the business of trying to heal to the greatest extent possible. Yeah. That's good. I love that viewpoint because it takes away this weird chain of events where it's like, oh, so grandma is uh, dying of Alzheimer's. Well, okay, well, it's your lack of faith. You need to pray harder and her brain will be healed. You need to pray harder that she'll remember. You need to pray harder and then she dies. Oh, well, it was just in God's timing. God makes good out of the bad situation. It's like, really? That's that's the way we're going with this? Like, you're not really setting yourself up for success here. So yeah. I love that philosophy of realizing that that we are a fleshly being. And if I can give like another weird example here. So um, there's like an apocryphal text called the Book of Adam. And uh, it's it was written in like the 1400s, like takes influence from some old Syrian scrolls and stuff. So it's not canon by any means, but it's poetic. And it was talking about how Adam and Eve, con- like out, once they're cast out of the garden, they kept fasting and praying over and over, rejecting food when God would give them food, rejecting water when God would give them water, saying, God, please just restore us. And God told them time and time again, I will, but right now you are in a fleshly state. And it literally goes in to talk about you're in a fleshly state like the animals, and I will bring you back, but it has to run its course. There is a, you know, there's a period of time that has to take place, and I'm going to come and I'm going to take away the the wrongdoing that has that has happened, but it has to run its course. And in the meantime, just take care of this body that you have created for yourself now. And I don't know, I just saw the parallel though. It's like it's a very interesting idea of like God was with them. Mm-hmm. He was mourning with them. He didn't want that sin, at least in this uh this early rendition, you know, of the story. And but yet he was saying but what's happened has happened, and now time just has to take its course. Yeah, I like that. I've not heard that. Thanks for sharing it. I think it's it ties back to that <laughs> provocative claim in the book title that God simply can't single-handedly heal. In you know the first chapter, it's God can't single-handedly stop he, uh, evil. In this, it's God can't single-handedly heal. And this is important because, you know, I know at least uh, one of you has a background in charismatic uh, tradition. I do as well. In the traditions I've been a part of, the majority of people don't get healed when we pray for them. Or if they do, it's a momentary kind of thing. And uh, that brings up all kinds of questions like, you know, doesn't God love me? Has God abandoned us? Is God punishing us? You know, what's going on here? But if you have a view like I have, that God simply can't heal single-handedly, then we don't have to blame God for the lack of healing when we pray. We can say, you know what, there are conditions in creation that aren't aligned, or there's not the kind of cooperation necessary at some level of your body or reality. 
And uh, I think then that helps us to continue to trust in a God of love who's trying to heal to the greatest extent possible. Mm-hmm. That's, That's good. And and so with that, I've, I, I want to ask you this, because I know you've mentioned this in your book, and I th- you clear it up very well. I think when people first hear the idea of, well, yeah, there's things that happen, so God willing, they'll get their healing. What is your, what is your thoughts on the phrase, well, God willing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the phrase that I would hear uh, is uh, someone would pray for, let's say, I don't know, someone to overcome uh, leukemia. And then at the end of the prayer, they would tack on, if it's your will in the prayer to God. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I understand why they did that because they many times had prayed for people and things had not gotten better. And, you know, who wants to claim that they've got the whole world figured out and got God figured out? There's always going to be a room for mystery in, in all of this stuff. And so to add on that little, if it's your will, after you pray for God to heal someone, is kind of a way to cover your ass, basically. You know, kind of, you know, we're praying because you told us to pray for healing, and we've seen it maybe a few times, but we also know that oftentimes people aren't healing, so we'll just add in that extra phrase. And um, I think it's always God's will to heal, so we don't have to ever ask or tag that thing on. It's just that I don't think God has the kind of power to single-handedly heal, you know, whenever God wants to do so. There are other forces, factors, agents, and actors in reality that also have some uh, amount of influence. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why, uh, not everybody, but I think the reason why a lot of people tag that on is because they feel guilty for asking for a, quote, selfish prayer. I know that um, whenever I've asked prayer for healing in certain circumstances, I felt guilty from other people of not adding that on of, well, if it's in your will, God, then heal them, whatever that looks like, whether it's in the natural sense or the spiritual sense and they go to heaven or whatever. Um, but a lot of times that I've done that just out of prayer, not necessarily because I was praying for God's will to be done because ultimately I already know his will is going to be done, but just because I felt guilty and heard other people say that and, and maybe thought my prayer life was more significant because I added that well, on. Is it, it almost ties into like the submission mentality yeah. of like, mm-hmm. I need to submit to God. So I always have to tack on this extra thing to make sure he knows I'm still submitted to his yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of like, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want God to think you're asking for too much or, you know, have thinking too highly of yourself or wanting something good for yourself that you don't want for others. Uh, you know, I think God wants the best for all of us. And that includes being healthy and healthy people. Uh, it's just that I think that God can't single-handedly bring that about. So can God operate outside of the natural in someone else? Like, can he operate outside of those genetic codes? Can he operate outside of that and still bring about healing? I think God always operates in tandem with creation. But sometimes the cooperation or the factors that are necessary to bring about some good thing can override the other factors involved, just like in our own world. You know, sometimes someone doesn't want to do something, but someone else does and the job gets done. Uh, So there are always more than one set of uh, factors involved in any scenario. 
So to kind of wrap this all together, we like to end with giving you an opportunity to ask the audience a question. So what question would you ask to someone who has, you know, recently went through tragedy to help them better understand who God is to them in that situation? I would ask this question. Do you think a loving parent allows their children to suffer and die when stopping it is possible? That's a good question. That's good. I think a lot of people are, they've settled for the God allows evil answer. They, they're not comfortable saying God did it, uh, but God allows it. They're, they'll go that far. And I'm trying to say in this book, that's not far enough. And there's lots of hurting people in the world who've realized that the God permits evil answer makes no sense. Tom, thank you so much for sharing about your book. Thank you so much for talking about a topic that most people uh, skim the edges of because they're scared to death to say the wrong thing. And uh, where can people find you? We're going to link up to where they can get your book in whatever format they want. But where can we link up, which all these links you're about to say will be here too, but where can people find you if they want to hear what you have to say? Well, I have a website, my full name, Thomas J. Ord, and you spell my last name with two O's, O-O-R-D. Uh, so that's a good place to find me. If you just Google my name, you can find a variety of different links and things. Um, I, I would want to say just, I, we were talking about this before the show started. Um, this particular book is written so that my grandmother could understand it. And it has questions at the end of each chapter. It's meant to be discussed in groups. So if uh, listeners are a part of some, I don't know, small group setting or Sunday school class, or, you know, they like to get together with friends and drink beer and talk about God, uh, this, this book is designed to uh, be the centerpiece of a discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually our favorite part yeah. of the book was at the end, all the rundown. Because if people don't get it by now, we like asking questions. Yes. So that was literally our favorite part. We're like, uh-huh. oh, look at this. It already has all yes. these questions and that we wanted to ask. it opens up for more discussion, too, and not just right. having all the answers for everything. So yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you again, Tom, for just your, uh, your willingness. And guys, if you're listening, make sure to head over and grab that email list because uh, Tom's going to hop back on another call, and it goes exclusively out to those guys. So you want to get this, it's going to be good. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you. Once again, huge shout out to Thomas J. Ord, author of God Can't, for being on the show this week and just continuing the conversation and, and helping us explore the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. And if you uh, are wanting to hear more from Tom, don't forget to go down there and click that link and subscribe to our email list to get his final five this week in your inbox go down there support him find him on his website grab a copy of his book whether digital or hardback or softback whatever your preference is and i truly believe that it's going to breathe life we elaine and i have read through it and it is truly a life-giving book especially if you have a group of people Uh, who are talking about this. It's great for that. I love that he asks questions in the end of every single chapter. So it's great for that. Once again, Nomads, you know where to find it. We've talked about it. We would love to have you as a part. And as always, please share this on with a friend if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing it. We love it whenever we 
have people share this on with others to grow the conversation and to have as many voices participate in the conversation as possible. We love you guys. And as always, be brave. Be bold. And be reckless. We'll We'll talk talk soon. soon.